Well, good morning. You will tell very quickly that this is not my normal voice. I'm Roy Yeager. I am one of the pastors here, and it is my pleasure to serve here under John Woodrum, who is on vacation this week. And I assure you, had the sore throat that I developed this week occurred with him in town, he would probably be speaking. But as Jeremy mentioned, this is Memorial Day weekend, and I really wasn't going to say much about this, but I had dinner with friends last night, and uh, last night as I was, I was convicted, I said, you know, I have a really long sermon already, and, um, but I just couldn't let it go. The Lord just really impressed upon me that like this passage, there's a lot in Memorial Day that I'm not sure all Americans are really aware of, and so I'm going to do... There's going to be an awful lot of teaching today, and one of them is that you may not know that Memorial Day was originally started by the soldiers and the sailors after the Civil War in 1868. And they got together and said, we need to remember the people who died for the freedoms that we have. You might want to think of Memorial Day as our nation's Easter because freedom isn't free. Jesus had to die for the freedom that we have to approach God in his heavenly throne. And a lot of Americans shed their blood for the freedoms that we enjoy to complain about everything that we complain about. I mean, let's just be honest about that. But it didn't become a paid holiday until the Uniform Holiday Act of 1968, 100 years later. And I remember it went into effect in the year that I graduated high school, which is hard to believe was 50 years ago. So there are many Americans who just think of it as another long weekend that they get paid an extra day for, and they have forgotten about all of the blood that had to be sacrificed for the freedoms that we have. So I really wanted to make a a, a note of that because it's something that I think we've, we've gotten as a people where we take an awful lot of things for granted which is sort of like the passage this morning. Um, I got a brand new iPad, so kindly bear with me a little bit here. This morning's text is Paul's final words that he will ever write for Scripture. And he bounces around between disappointment and praise and sadness and joy, sometimes in the same verse. And I agree with John Piper when he said that he summed up this passage as both sad and beautiful. <clears throat> now, if you were to Google 2 Timothy chapter 4, and press enter, and commentaries, you'd have to go several pages before you'd get any commentary past verse 8. And John did a beautiful job of covering that for us last week because that's some of Paul's best stuff. But past that, you know, why do you think there's so little? There's 14 verses here, 17 people, six cities. There's a lot of stuff in here. Well, I'm going to suggest one possibility, and that is that most of us get to the end of Paul's letters, and we see the personal bits, 
And we go, okay, God's done talking. Now he's just going to say hello to his friends, and that's the end of it. And we skim over it, or we skip it entirely. You know, I have to admit for myself, even personally, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now as part of my quiet time, and you start reading the genealogy of the different tribes of Jacob, and you're in numbers, and you have to, it doesn't keep my attention. I'm thinking about things I got to do, and, and that's not really, you know, we here at Grace believe that all of Scripture is God's Word. That's summed up for us beautifully by Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, which reads, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. All of scripture, not just the bits that we find interesting, sometimes the closing of the letter, like it was for me in preparing for this message. So, I buckled down and I started making notes about this particular passage. And it looks somewhat like this. I think I have it in here. And what quickly became obvious was by allowing Paul to bounce around all over the place through these final 14 verses, God was teaching us something very important, something that we would likely miss if we would just skim over it or skip entirely. And that is this. People mattered to Paul. And here's the other thing. People matter even more to God. God did not send Jesus for a nation or to start a movement or a new religion. Jesus came to save individual people. And Paul mentions them a lot here, so I'm going to pray and we're going to dive in. Father, thank you for having our nation be wise enough to remember that freedom isn't free and that this weekend we get to recall the sacrifice that many people made with their lives in order for the West to have the freedoms that we have. And more importantly, the sacrifice of your son so that we have this prayer can come to you and into your throne room. So thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his ministry and this, and this, and this great two-book study that we've had and, and for his mentorship of Timothy so that we would have this written down for us so that we can have endurance and the encouragement of scriptures and the hope that we can have in your son. For I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in deciding how to do this, you know, traditionally, I mean, we go verse by verse here. That's what we do here at Grace. But normally we read the passage up front. This is a long passage. So we're going to do what I refer to as just old Bible study. We're just going to dive in, start reading it verse by verse, and we'll just kind of take it apart like that, okay? So if you'll do that with me here. Uh, oh, one more thing. As we're working our way through this scripture, I read Romans 15:4 to you because I want you to keep the sentiment that Paul was providing there in mind that these things were written for not just the recipient, but for you and for me. That all of Scripture was written for you and for me so that we could be encouraged 
and have endurance. So, having said that, Paul starts off on a very sad note. He begins, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. See, there's urgency here and there's heartache. Urgency. Timothy, get here soon. Then you can sense how much Demas had disappointed Paul by the parenthetical phrase, in love with this world. This is actually a different word than the one we studied the last time I was here regarding uh, abandonment. But the primary meaning of the word deserted here is to abandon. Demas abandoned Paul. And it bothered him enough to make mention of it immediately after he had just penned some of what you could argue was some of his most inspirational work. We're not done with Demas. I'm going to have to come back to him in a little bit. Second half of the verse. Paul tells Timothy that Christians has gone to Galatia, Timothy to Dalmatia. And this almost feels like a throw-in, but it isn't. And I'll explain when we get to verse 13. In between 10 and 13, Paul quickly pivots and returns to joy. He was in a high. He goes to a low. He's back down. This is a pattern. We're going to see it. <clears throat> Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me and for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left in Car with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. These verses are a different, a, a, an additional affirmation for me that this was indeed Paul's last letter. When Sherry and I had COVID last month, and you're our age, you can't help but wonder, is this it? It wasn't morbid. It was really just kind of pragmatic. You know, you never really... You know, let's face it, most of us don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the end of our life. But Paul understood that the end of his ministry was imminent. And my point here is, is that when you know that you're coming towards the end of your journey, you sort of look back on your life. You start looking, thinking about the things that made you glad, the things that made you sad, the disappointments that you had. But invariably, it kind of comes down to the people. You start thinking about the people in your life. And uh, reminds me of an old Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, right? I mean, you just start going through and remembering parts of your life. But it's about the people. And in this passage, there are a total of six cities along with these 17 people, places that Paul had ministered. Some got letters that are now part of your Bible. So the question is, why do you suppose that Paul, God had Paul identify those six cities along with these 17 names? There could be any number of reasons, but I'm going to suggest one, and that would be to legitimize the letter. Now, in our day, nobody writes anything down anymore, right? You just whip this puppy out, start typing away. But it was only a hundred years ago 
that if letters were the only way to communicate with anybody. It's a little known fact that, you know, if you watch any of the period pieces in the Great Britain, they used to get the mail delivered twice a day. That's how people wanted to be connected to people. They were looking forward to those communications. Well, it should also come as no surprise to you that at that time, in the first century, they had hackers. What they were were forgeries. They were forgers and counterfeiters because they would intercept the communications, forge them, and then, this is going to come as a shock to all of you, but then they were going to change it to suit their agenda. This is what people do in order to thwart good people. They just take advantage. They say, oh, you know, they're all innocent. They'll just believe anything, and, you know, off it goes, right? But Paul, by including the cities with the names, enabled the recipients of his letters to do what? Go to the city, find the person, and ask them. This was important back in that day. You could go to Troas and find Carpus and say, what about the cloak? Right? You could do that. And you would want to do that to ensure the fact that the letter that you had in front of you was, in fact, from Paul. Now, based on the known tensions between Rome and believers at that time, that alone could have been the reason why God had Paul include the cities along with the names. Another tendency when you're drawing near the end of your life is to get a little nostalgic. Look with me at verse 11. Only Luke is with me and bring Mark with you. For he is very useful to me in the ministry. Very. I want you to know that the very is not in the original because the word useful is so strong. It's like unbelievably useful. Now, the Luke and the Mark mentioned here are the writers of the gospel of Luke and Mark according to most scholars. But Mark was also known as John Mark. And he was at the center of a controversy that was between Paul and a guy named Barnabas that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. Apparently, Paul and Barnabas had been traveling a long time together, and apparently things got a little dicey, and John Mark deserted, there's that word again, Paul and Barnabas. Took off. So, Paul made no attempt in that passage to hide his disappointment any more than he did. It was the same phraseology as what he, what he did with Demas a little while ago, right? At that point in both Paul's life and John Mark's life, you could make the argument that Mark wasn't very useful to Paul in the ministry. Now, if we had skipped this passage, we could easily have missed seeing the redemption of Mark's ministry. By ha having Paul include these brief, this brief little mention, it's nine simple little words, God makes sure that we and everyone at that time knew that Mark had changed. And at this point, 
Paul saw him as very, extremely useful to his ministry. You can even make the case that had Paul not made mention of this here, we might not have a gospel of Mark. I mean, who knows? Because it's about redemption. We're about the people. It's about enduring and encouraging so that we can have hope. And this stuff was written for us to see that. Because if you're at a place in your, in your faith walk where everything isn't clicking and maybe you're a little John Mark back in Acts 15, there's still hope for you. Paul then mentioned sending Tychicus to Ephesus and Carpus and the cloak and the scrolls and the parchment. And these are some of the things from Paul's life that he was hoping Timothy would bring when he came to him. No doubt because they probably brought him great comfort. This is the same Paul, I might add, that has penned the words in Philippians chapter 3, 7 and 8 where he counted everything as loss to gain Christ. Everything. There's one of those all-inclusive words. Now, this is a pretty small thing, so I'm not going to dwell on it too long. But it bears mentioning because it is possible that some worldly things can bring you comfort. And by including this verse, God has said, and let it be known for us, that it's okay to find some comfort in this life with a couple of things. But here, like I said, it's a small thing, but remember this when it comes to the things of this life. Every single thing you have will one day be somebody else's. Everything. And as Brian and Parker and I would smile with every once in a while, this is a 38 special reminder. Just hold on loosely. Right? Just hold on loosely. Verses 14 through 18. From comfort, Paul returns to disappointment, followed by a warning, followed immediately by a doxology. And by the way, I'm going to, say, I'm going to speak to it, but you know, when Mitch and I went, well, we reviewed the songs we were going to do, you just sang one of the most beautiful doxologies there ever was. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. My voice sucks right now, but it, that's, I mean, that's what it really is. It's a beautiful doxology because doxology simply means to praise God. And he just, he's, he's in the midst of this seesaw, disappointment, warning, you know, and all of this. And he just breaks out after he was really, really low in that the Lord stayed with him and he had to break out and just start, boom, there you go, doxology. So let's go ahead and read it. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will okay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the proclamation might be fully made through me to all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Hit it. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And by the way, there's another word that most of us take for granted. Does anyone know what amen means? 
agree, to agree. In the, in, the, in the Hebrew, it would be, so be it, or be it so, right? You're hearing something, and you get really excited. That's exactly right. Whatever you say, Lord, we're with you. So, as I mentioned, Paul covers a wide range of emotions in these five verses, beginning with Alexander. This guy here apparently caused Paul some great harm, and great harm Sorry, i got to get into the words underneath that. That really do justice. Because great is actually translated many times plenty. And harm is the Greek word keikos. And if you understand keikos, keikos is out of the 51, 51? 51 times that keikos appears in Scripture in the New Testament, 40 of them, it's translated evil. So that just as could have easily read Alexander did a whole lot of plenty evil to Paul. Now, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, that certainly does explain the warning in chapter in, in verse 15, right? Watch out for this guy. But it's not a very popular thing in Christian circles these days to call anybody evil. I mean, it just isn't. I'm not exactly sure why, because don't, wouldn't you at least consider the fact that Paul included this? God had Paul include this warning for us just as much as Timothy. Some people do evil things. And if we say nothing about it, who will? Because there's evil out there, folks. Everyone doesn't want to have a group hug. So Paul goes from a warning to sad to glad to extremely glad. Everyone abandoned me. Everyone except for who? Very good. The Lord. Paul recalls his disappointment with the joy of remembering he was never alone. The Lord stood with me and what strengthened me, right? through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Paul was so encouraged as he wrote these words that he just broke out into that doxology. Praise Him. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm not done with Alexander, by the way. I'm going to come back to him, too. We come now to the last four verses that Paul will ever write and the conclusion of our study of 2 Timothy. And your Bible may have a one-word title preceding these verses. Benediction. Now, that, like doxology, is not a word every one of us use all the time, you know. But benediction is a formal blessing that is typically done at the conclusion of a public gathering. Now, you'll notice I said public gathering. I didn't say public worship. <clears throat> I was in my 40s before I actually began to understand that benedictions don't necessarily have to have anything to do with God. Because the idea behind a benediction, they have two parts. Typically, there's a recognition of a group of people, individuals, dignitaries, the like, followed by a blessing. Okay, let's look at blessing for a second. 
There's another word that I'm not sure all of us would agree what it means because it has multiple meanings. Some, it, and, and, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know. That's a different version. There's a different word behind bless. The bless here is to confer or invoke divine favor. Confer or invoke. Now, if I were to bless you, I'm not empowered to, to you know, call down divine favor. Jesus is, but I'm not. So confer is out. Then you were left with invoke. And ever heard of an invocation? Anybody? Okay. Do you know what it means? Yeah. Come on. Anyone. See, that's the thing. You skip over this stuff and you would never do these word studies. You'd have missed this. An invoke, to invoke is to call someone to call someone in. So to, the divine favor that we're looking for here is an invocation. We want the Lord's blessing, do we not? Right? Roy's blessing, a leader's blessing, somebody else's blessing. Oh, they're nice. But what we want, what Christians want, is for God to do the blessing because the, the point is, do you even have any power to back up your blessing? I know this, God does. If we get God's blessing, chances are that's going to happen. It may not happen in this life, but it's going to happen. So with that understanding of benediction, let's look at the last four verses. Cripricia and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, in Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulius sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Lioness and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul's benediction begins with recognizing nine people who meant an awful lot to him. And he followed it up with the all-inclusive and all the brethren. Now, your Bible might say brothers. Okay, sorry, I have to do this again. The word underneath brothers there, if your Bible says brothers, is the Greek word Adolphus. And Adolphus, the reason I, I know anything about that word is because my mother was a graduate from Adelphi, which is the, was the first co-ed university on Long Island. Because Adolphus means of the womb. Last time I looked, that's how all of us get to be here. Right? So it's not a brother's thing. So if you're reading an English translation and you see the word brothers, there's like 500 and something times and 400 of them are brethren. Another 100 and something are, are brothers. Context-wise, brethren, all of us, all of us. God's interested in all of us. So Paul finishes his letters in a very particular way. He, he starts his letters. There's a pattern to Paul's letters. 
This was another way that letters were authenticated as Paul, and frankly, it's one of the reasons why the book of Hebrews is not considered to be a Pauline writing, because it doesn't comport to Paul's pattern. And Paul's pattern is that he would begin letters by a grace to the recipient. A good example, Ephesians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's grace to you and then invoking God, not himself. Notice here, Paul doesn't do the blessing. He asks God to do the blessing and to extend the grace. This is back, we're back to the benediction part where this is where the one who has the power is the one you want to do the blessing. And Paul was very mindful of that and he it very specifically said, grace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes his letter with grace with you. So grace to you as you're about to encounter this letter and read this letter and grace with you now that you've read it and you take it with you. So that's a good way to remember that. So the authority of the blessing, like I said, is what really matters. And Paul's last words here conclude his mentorship of Timothy with a wonderful reminder for all of us, and that is that we are God's servants and Paul was God's servants, and that God is the one who does the blessing. So let's get through to head, heart, and hands. Head. Resist the urge to skim over Scripture. If I learned anything in preparing for this morning, it's how much we can miss if we marginalize any of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.15. How much of Scripture is, is inspired by God? All. All of it. That includes those names listed out in the Old Testament, that includes the names listed out at the end of 2 Timothy, all of it. Hands. What do we, um, I'm sorry, heart. Is your heart aligned with your head? You know, I first started hearing the gospel message. My head thought it was a pretty, okay, that sounds pretty all right. And as Brian pointed out this morning so beautifully, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, I was still stuck with the Catholic background, you know, maybe we can be good enough and, you know, going to do the Stations of the Cross and we're going to get ourselves prayed up and this and that. Well, that was a whole lot of effort, but, you know, it, I knew at a certain point I always failed. Speaking about myself here. But what's impossible for us is possible with the Lord. And you're not going to know that unless you take in all of Scripture and you have to get your head aligned with your heart. you got to believe it in here. Paul had a far rougher go of it for his faith than most of us ever will. He knew he was facing the end of his life and that he was going to be martyred. I mean, he, he understood and yet he doubled down here. You know, what did he say in the verses that John covered? I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And may that be said the same of us. So my question for you this morning is, is how are you trending? 
You know, how are you trending right now? Are you fighting the good fight or are you going through a rough patch? Because if you're going through a rough patch, I will remind you that in this passage, Paul made it clear that even a John Mark who deserted the ministry could come back and be very useful. So no matter where you are and how rough a go you may be having it, get your head and your heart in line with one another and trust him through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures. You can have hope. Hands. What do we do about Demas and Alexander? You know, I told you I'd be coming back to these two guys. And God had a warning for Timothy that there's disappointment and evil in these two guys. And I have little doubt they were disappointing and evil. Little doubt. But I was just about finished with this preparation this morning, and here's what the Lord struck me with. He reminded me that there have been times in my life when as far as the church was concerned, I was more like Demas or Alexander than any of the other 15 that were mentioned. If it weren't for a very brave believer who lived next door to me in Auburndale, Florida, and was brave enough to approach somebody who was pretty hostile towards anybody, I know. But I was. And he was, enough, he, was, he was brave enough to share Jesus with me. And if he had not done that, there's no telling what the last 40 years of my life would have been like. If you know a Demas or you know an Alexander, begin by praying for them. And then ask the Lord if you're the one who needs to share Christ with them and take that risk. And I have a short question for you. If not you, who? Somebody was brave enough to come up to a real jerk 40 years ago. And it was before Dr. Phil was Dr. Phil, but, you know, he, he, I will sum up a very long conversation at the fence that was like Tim the Tool Man talking over the fence. How's that working for you? There's a Demas and an Alexander in your life. There's little doubt that they're disappointing or dangerous. And this passage reminds me that evil people have names. They're individuals. And they're just in need of redemption as you were and I was. And if you're a believer now, you were just like me. Maybe you weren't as bad as me, that's fine. But you were lost and you were going to go to hell unless you got redeemed. And that's only one way as far as Scripture is concerned, and that's through His Son.
So when you go to lunch today, do not put it off. Ask the Lord to not just remind you of the 15 people that have brought you joy in your life and that have comforted you. Ask him to help you be brave enough so that you can be part of the faith walk to redemption for a Demas or an Alexander. If not you, who? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for having Paul wrap up his mentorship of Timothy with these words that remind us that life is a, is, is a wild ride of emotions that cover all kinds of things, but that it's the people that matter the most to you and help us to see that and have them matter to us as well. For I ask it all in Jesus' name.